Hi everyone, Stephen Simon here for episode 7 of Performance Talks. In this episode, we chat to Ben Dixon about a really interesting topic, which is strength and conditioning in a non-traditional setting. Ben works for the English National Ballet, and during the podcast, we discussed how he defines success, where sports science fits into his practice, and how he programs for his dancers, along with a lot more. We also touch upon his time with Watford Football Club, where he worked for seven years, and his time working with the Taiwanese national football team. As always, if you're enjoying the episodes, please like, rate and subscribe to stay tuned for new episodes dropping every other Thursday. And now, over to Ben. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's um, good to be on chatting to you again. Um, just to give you a, back, a bit of background on myself, um, I was, well, got my interest in sports science, I think, basically from being a bit of a failed or extremely average athlete, as most of us probably are. Um, from there, <laughs> yeah, went, to, <laughs> went to, so I went to university, did my undergrad in Birmingham. Um, uh, following three years there, I went and carried on and did my master's degree down in London. Um, whilst I was doing my um, master's degree, I got a job in a in a gym alongside that and then worked did my internship at Watford Football Club at the same time um, so I was kind of trying to do three things at once which was great fun and pretty busy um, but ended up essentially being offered a job at the end of my internship at uh, Watford Football Club um, and then worked there for about seven well for seven years uh, straight work through at Watford so saw quite a few different changes in that time changes in management changes in uh kind of medical team and that kind of thing. Um, we got promoted to the Premiership, which was great. So we did a couple of years at the, at the top level of the Premier League and that was great fun. And then after seven years, I kind of, we had a little bit of a change and I, I left the club and um, spent a little bit of time kind of doing some freelance stuff and working in a bit in, a bit in tennis and that kind of thing with some younger age groups. Um, and then the opportunity came to go to China to work um, at the Chinese Olympic Committee so that was in uh, about in 2018 so I went over to China in 2018 and, and spent a year out there as you know with the with the mainly predominantly with the rowing team um, but working with a few other Olympic athletes and stuff in in China and then uh, at the end of the contract there I sort of came back home again was working a little bit of freelance stuff and uh, got the opportunity to actually go back out to Taiwan as well so Worked, worked with the Taiwanese uh, football team, uh, the international team during um, some of their World Cup qualifiers. So had a few training camps and that kind of thing. And it was kind of good to work in the same sport, go back into football, but in a quite a different, obviously, culture and kind of training ideas and working with a different team, which was great, really good. And then um, in October uh, 2019, I was then offered a job to work at the English National Ballet which is where I currently am now as well so I've been there just over a year so it's been an interesting kind of and quite a diverse career I guess that I've had so far so from football to rowing and a few different sports and now into something which is probably completely different to uh to well it's completely different to to sport and that kind of thing in in ballet so it's been a really interesting kind of few years. <laughs> awesome man that's uh yeah, it's quite the quite the journey. I mean, first off, actually being with a team for a while that has then been promoted into the Premiership, I think is a really fat is really fascinating, and you know, kind of shows 
um <clears throat> like what a part of the you know the sort of club and the development i'd love to chat to you a little bit more about that um but i really want to um also get into asking about the uh work that you're doing with ballet and how actually you know your experiences in some of the other sports may have you know influenced your um your approach to ballet before we get into any of that though we've got some really interesting discussion points there but i do want to ask you something that we ask most of our guests as they come on is you've obviously had a pretty extensive journey through multiple sports and like you said doing quite a few things at, at once did you have any key mentors along the way that helped guide you or anyone that you really learned from as you were going through that journey yeah yeah absolutely it's i think the obviously for me that first job you get kind of out of university right is it's so important to have the right people around you at that point because there's a big difference between that theory you learn at university and the actual application of it and then kind of the skills I guess it takes to to integrate yourself into kind of teams and working with athletes or dancers or whoever whoever you work with really so I think the two people I two of the people I sort of learned the most off there was Matt Springham was um head of sports science at the time um so I was kind of underneath him in the sports science department um and Matt really taught me a lot about kind of the application of of the theory and working with teams and all that kind of thing and I know I still speak to Matt regularly you know which is important for me I think that's one of those you know you have to keep in contact with these people it's it's really important you know as you go through your career so definitely Matt's one of them and then um it's on the same on the kind of other side of things i found that medical and rehab side really interesting you know the rehab i find the rehab especially kind of long-term injuries and that kind of thing is a is such an important part of kind of what we do i think and you can really influence kind of or help athletes in their careers with it so from that kind of medical rehab side richard collins was the head of medical at the time when i started and i learned so much off rich from from that rehab perspective and again from that kind of uh, man management side I guess as well of you know working with people and how to kind of get the best out of people um, and get the best out of athletes and, and rehabs and that kind of thing so yeah Matt and Rich are two of the of the big names and well, that I, I obviously appreciate and what I've and have helped me kind of get to where I am in my career I guess. Nice. I um I don't know either of them. I recognise Matt's name. I think he's fairly active on Twitter. Maybe I can't remember, but I, I definitely recognise his his name there. Um, good stuff. Right. Let's. Uh, I am so excited to start this conversation. And and Simon and I have talked about it actually in the in the week leading up to this, and we've had some talks because so far we've had six really good episodes with guys from all around sport. And you work in ballet. I mean, like it blows my mind. And and personally, I have the interest because I, I worked with an AT who'd done some work in Cirque du Soleil. And I'd never even thought about that, that idea that a strength coach could go and work in like that performance area. So I'm just fascinated to hear about it. So just kind of give us an overview. Like what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis how did you you know go about when you got into ballet like what was your mindset of of how do I learn about what we need to do for the sport just just basically tell me everything yeah I think that's the that's the key thing right the first thing was definitely to learn 
to try and learn as much as I could. Um, which, because obviously at the time when I first got offered the job, I knew absolutely nothing about ballet. I'm completely open about that, and I, they all know that as well. Every 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 dancer knows it, uh, and they constantly remind me of it as well. So it's fine. Um, I'd say I'm probably just a tiny step ahead of that now. I still know very little compared to a lot of other people, but it's a really interesting kind of area. And I think it was one of the things that kind of attracted me to the job in a way as well was, like I said, I had this kind of quite diverse career within sports, but then to go into something which is completely different, it was kind of, and almost asking myself the same question of what can I actually do here? Can I make this better? Can I improve or help improve? you know, dancers and their career and that kind of thing. Um, that was kind of the first thing I asked myself. And yeah, from on a kind of day-to-day -day basis, it's been, it's it's obviously similar in a way. Obviously my main role is to deliver strength programs and rehab programs to the dancers. Um, you know, it's, it's, they don't like the term sport and the more and more I've been in it, I can see why, because it's not a sport. Um, but the way I kind of like to look at it is that it's an athletic art, you know, there is an art form, but these guys are using their bodies on a daily basis and really working quite hard to, to really push themselves to physical limits of, and, you know, do certain movements and, you know, this choreography, which is really, really difficult and really, really challenging to do. So how can we, or how can I, from a physical perspective, give these guys the foundation to, to be able to do this, you know? day in day out for however long their career is you know and really make them robust enough to to tolerate it um and I think when I first started it's kind of one of those as well you know when you go into certain sports you can go you can dive into the literature and there's quite a lot of you know information out there on you know what the demands of a sport are and you know training programs that people have used and that kind of thing but there wasn't so there isn't so much of that within ballet um there are some papers if people want to look at, you know, search them and read them, but it's, there isn't a lot. So it was kind of one of those, that was another kind of aspect that we were looking at and that attracted me to the job was, you know, can we, within our, the department that I'm at at English National Ballet, can we kind of start that research and really, you know, make a name for ourselves and, and really inform, you know, ourselves, but also the wider kind of public of what, you know, what is required to be that elite level ballet dancer. Yeah, I um, I love that. I think it's really important to try and help learn more about the the performance. And like I said, I love that term, athletic performance. Um, I'm really interested to say one of your key mentors there, you was talking about being interested in the rehab side of things. Did you find that a really good way to build buy-in with the performers? Because um, I know from like, I've, you know, obviously it's a sport, but figure skating has that similar artistic component to it and I actually found that was like my best inroad um, with a lot of the athletes early on was more about that side of things and a lot of my programming was geared more towards helping them deal with their injuries and I just wondered if you know you mentioned a, a big part of your um, sort of early kind of early years like really learning and taking an interest in that and I just wondered if that helped you in the new role yeah absolutely yeah it was um it's really good actually because to be honest at the time when I first started so we're a touring company so a lot of the dancers will be performing or at times will be away on tour either within the UK or internationally 
so when I started they were actually on tour in the UK so there was only rehab kind of injured dancers at the um, at London City Islanders which where the where our facility is so I was basically placed with them to start with and um, kind of started with those rehab programs um, and that gave me a couple two or three people as well that I could really get to know um, and that actually start to implement things with them you know not not necessarily changing things obviously too early on but you know really getting to know them as people as well which I think is really important um, I think obviously within ballet there's obviously this probably perception on the outside that they shouldn't lift weights or you know they don't do anything in the gym and that kind of thing and it's not you know it's a, it's a bit of a misconception really it's not it's not strictly true you know they the the things they do in the studio are physically really demanding at times so they need to have that strength base and those strength and power qualities to be able to you know hope, well hopefully not break down with injury and that kind of thing and so the rehab side and that and like you said the a lot of the programs um for certain individuals i won't be looking necessarily at performance enhancement strictly like it's not like a sprinter who wants to run quicker or you know someone who wants to jump high necessarily it, it can be more about you know reducing their perception of pain or you know they have an achilles little achilles niggle you know can we you know do stuff in the gym that you know helps them with that so they don't feel pain in you know in rehearsals or performances and therefore hopefully improve their performance by that as well loads uh loads to unpick there and it's and it's fascinating i just want to go back to one point you you sort of said about this idea of uh foundational strength and stuff like that so what you know as as much as you're comfortable as sharing like what would a kind of normal if that is such a thing sort of program look like for for one of those you know either males or females and how different is it between the males and females yeah i mean it's an interesting question because there's a massive uh difference so we've got about 70 dancers essentially um obviously just predominantly female but pretty much 50 50 um some of those dancers have been lifting and doing strength training for a while some have done literally none um so that's where for me one of the biggest challenges and differences is that well, every program really does have to be quite specific to the individual um you know it's not a it's not necessarily a team sport where we can you know do a, a blankets or basics of compound compound movements and that kind of thing and they'll all just kind of do it you know it's the dancers best to let you know a bit about their schedule they're generally they'll be in the building about nine or nine thirty they'll have a they'll have class at around 10 for an hour and a half to hour and 45 minutes they'll then have about a 15 minute break and go into rehearsals um which will be another hour couple of hours then they'll have lunch and then they'll go back into rehearsals in the afternoon so essentially it's they have to come to me or I have to go to them and try and work out ways of fit or basically fitting in the strength work, fitting in the gym work. Cause from a scheduling perspective, it can be really difficult. Um, Cause like I said, they're in the studio for sometimes for six, seven hours a day. Um, so to fit in strength work, that's also going to be effective in that short amount of time can be quite a bit of a challenge. So I think it's one of those where I, I, I personally have broken it down into 
um, you know, like I said, the ones that haven't necessarily done a lot of lifting and given them quite started really at the basic level of just looking at stability work, using body weight work and that kind of thing, just getting movement patterns really strong. Um, and then obviously the ones that have got slightly more of a training history, I can talk, I can talk to them about that and then and sort of work from there and really build in some decent periodized type programming as well. You, uh, you mentioned there the amount of time they spend in the studio and sometimes having those really, really long sessions. Again, that kind of mirrors some of the, the experience I had with figure skating when they're in a phase where they're focusing a lot on the choreography. They could be on the ice for you know five hours. It's relatively low intensity because they're, you know, yeah. they're kind of repeating some of the same things and just trying to work out the transitions and, and that kind of stuff. But um, I noticed throughout the season, there was definitely a difference in their, their focus um, with a lot of choreography in some parts of the season, then other parts of the season, it would be much more the technical jumps and, and lifts. And then obviously they get towards the, the performance end and it's um, some of the sessions would be, you know, much shorter, but much more high intensity because they're actually trying to perform those lifts and techniques at the full intensity that they're going to need to perform. Have you noticed a similar kind of um, progression that, you know, you might take as a sporting model that is, you know, we have dancers, they're learning a new program, they're learning a new routine. So you've got high volume of choreography and then it gradually changes as you get towards what you, we might term like the performance season, I guess, or a show season. Um, have you experienced that as well? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely something that plays into, plays into the, or is really important kind of when I'm programming. Um, I think that's one of the biggest challenges again that I have in the moment is that real understanding of the demands of ballet, um, the physical demands of ballet, because we have, for example, we have different, you know, we have 10 different productions, say, um, and then there's so many different roles within those productions as well. And some, you know, some might be jumping roles where they're jumping all the time, you know, but we don't have any real objective data on that because it's not really been done in ballet. I know a few, there's some other ballet companies that are starting to use GPS data and, and look at that and have kind of released a bit of research into that. We're, at the moment, we're actually looking into it as well. We're looking at using kind of IMU um, systems to try and really quantify that load, that impact load that, that, the, that the dancers are putting themselves through kind of on a daily, you know, on a daily basis, but then obviously that accumulated load that we need to look at weekly and, and over a season as well, which is really important and how that undulates during the season as well. And looking at what production we're doing and what roles people are in and that kind of thing. And really starting to get down into the nitty gritty of, you know, there's a certain production coming up. So therefore we need to get them ready for this. And, you know, and that the kind of crossover of that into kind of injury prevention as well. Um, but yeah, it's a really, it's a really difficult kind of intricate piece of work that's going to take a long time, but it, it's, it's uh we hope it's gonna be quite satisfying at the end if we get the right answers <laughs> <laughs> you've um just piqued my interest obviously i'm a sports science geek and particularly a gps geek um what if anything what kind of sports science do you use at, at uh you know within your role and and also this might be a, a completely secondary question but what does the team look like 
obviously you're there as an SNC coach. Do you have sports scientists there? Is it is it just you and the the medical staff? So so those two questions. Yeah, I'd say, well, to give you an overview of the of the team that we've got, basically, um, there's Andy Andy Reynolds is our medical director. Um, who kind of obviously oversees the department. I uh, think I did. Sorry, I think I did my MSc with him. You, was yeah, you might have done. I think he's done. A, I think he's done SNC MS. Uh, I think he did an SNC MSc. So you might yeah. have. He knows yeah, a lot yeah, of people yeah. as well. So he probably does know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think I think we did our MSc together because he was at rugby, like Quins or Saracens or somewhere. Yeah, he was. A, he used to be at Harlequins. Yeah. So he's, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Interesting. Uh, yeah. No, small world. Yeah, no, I'll let him know tomorrow. I'll see what he says about you. <laughs> let you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, Andy, Andy, so Andy's heading up the department. And then we've got um, Adam Paxton, is uh, our head physio, who's got a kind of background in football as well. And then Matt Rogalski and uh, Jody Comer are two. Well, Nat's another physio, um, Australian physio. So don't hold that against her, though. Um, and Jody's our soft tissue therapist. To, um, and they've got a bit more of a, a little bit more of a dance background than obviously myself and Andy and Adam, who are very much sporting sport heads, basically. So it's kind of a nice, it's quite a nice balance of the team of, you know, that kind of sporting input. And then I was being slapped a bit and being told it's not a sport. So it's it works quite well. But um, that's kind of the, that's the team. So I'm I'm the only SNC, I'm the only kind of sports science person with a real sports science background. Um, we have an intern at the moment as well, Georgia, who's doing a bit of work with us. So she um, she's looking at a little bit of the data because when I when I when I first came in, essentially, it was almost not I wouldn't quite call it a blank slate. Obviously, they they'd had some medical and strength and conditioning, sports science support before, um, but it was kind of a blank slate in terms of the people the, the people that had done it before weren't from an elite sporting background, and we kind of part of what we wanted to do which again as we've had to change a little bit over time and stuff like that was was try to put in this elite sport model of of kind of athlete slash dancer support um so when i first started there was no real you know databases on you know like i've talked about a little bit the the, the demands of dance you know how many shows are these guys doing how many roles are they doing how much how much time are they in the studio what are they doing in the studio um you know injury tracking like what what what's our injury profile of a dancer um you know are the points during the season that we need to possibly change our training or speak to the artistic team and say you know we're getting a lot we get a lot of this type of injury like is there a way we can change class or that kind of thing to try and really look at can we reduce those injuries um and it's yeah it's been really interesting but that that's kind of been the first almost the first year of of work has just been trying to put these databases in place and just trying to start to get some information on what they're doing and how we can you know from a physical perspective improve it and also hopefully obviously reduce that risk of injury which is so important as well um yeah from us from a sports science perspective that's the main thing is just that that load tracking i guess that we're trying to put in place um and we're working a little bit with kind of force platforms and that kind of thing. It's like the, some of the jumping, there's a lot, they do a lot of jumping. So we're trying to build some kind of jump profiles and that from force platforms and force platform data. So that's kind of the main sports science-y um, chat, I guess. 
Nice. <laughs> and you, you mentioned there, like the coordination with the, uh, sorry, you refer to them as the artistic team, whereas yeah. my, my natural instinct is to sort of call them the technical coaches. Um, but in that sense, like, how do you find that relationship? Obviously, you're talking there about some pretty technical uh, sort of sports science things that, you know, we all kind of know and have become fairly mainstream and some of those things are now standard practice in a lot of um in a lot of sports clubs how do you find those conversations go with the artistic team and also with the performers themselves like when you're discussing the use of force plates and you know load monitoring and looking at varying the the kind of the training or the type of um practice that they're putting in how do those conversations go yeah yeah it's it's interesting because it's I think one of the main one of the main differences I think is uh, as, as as a medical department you know I think within sports sometimes the the technical coaches can kind of you know basically get whatever data they want out of you um, but within ballet we sit we very much sit in the middle between the dancers and the artistic team you know we're not we're not we're not on one side or the other um, and there's there because of the kind of employment of it, we don't have to share personal data from the dancers with the artistic team unless the dancers want us to. So from that perspective, we could we the, the data is protected. We mm. don't, there's no, you know, if artistic potentially want to use something against someone, we don't have to give it to them, essentially. Um, that's an, that's the, an interesting dynamic. Yeah. And then on the because obviously on the other side of that, there's kind of the positive side as well, of like, you know, people showing really good improvements on things and you know, we want to share it. Um, but it, yeah, that is quite an interesting, interesting kind of side to things, which is very different to kind of a sporting, a sporting, what we're used to in a sporting background, I guess, where the coaches just kind of try and take what they want, I guess, in a way. Um, but it's been interesting. I, to be fair, I, the artistic team, I mean, from a, like looking at the rehab perspective and that kind of thing, the artistic and the physios kind of deal more with the artistic team on that side. Um, but in terms of, you know, trying to integrate them back into, into ballet, into, you know, as part of their rehab, the artistic team have been pretty good in terms of listening to, you know, they can only do uh, certain parts of class. They can only do the first 45 minutes, for example. Um, so they've, they've been fairly open to that, but there's still, I think there's still work for us to do, obviously for them to understand, you know, the data and the stats that we want to give them. Um, Cause it's just more a case of they've never used it before. They've never, they've never seen it before. So it, it's kind of new and it's new to them. And it's, I think the, I think anyone, when anyone's bringing in new data and new stats, it's about answering questions, right? It's about answering what questions do we have from a sports science or medical perspective that we want to answer and then the artistic team or any technical team will have their own questions as well and if you can use that data to then answer their questions then they're going to buy into that data a lot more than if you're just using it kind of randomly or just trying to use it to you know give them information they don't care about if it's something they can answer something for them then it then it helps from from both sides a lot more i think so, that's great i think that's a big mistake a lot of people make isn't it absolutely yeah uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think there's there's two parts isn't it like either you give coach or or you know whoever it is that you're reporting to you give them information that they don't care about or you give them information that they don't understand 
and 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 in both cases what do you expect is going to happen in that situation like you're not going to get much of a of a good comeback yeah. so if you like you say if you're listening to them and answering questions that they want to hear um yeah. that's that's how you get the buy-in from those i sitting back and listening to that i think you guys are in such an incredibly exciting place to have that blank slate of, of being able to be like well listen like we can you know critically analyze this this um discipline in a way that's never been done before that just sounds absolutely incredible to me i, I would be so excited if i were you working in there it sounds so cool yeah no it's been good it's been it's been quite a lot of time building excel uh databases and worksheets hey, yeah. i know where was i know my you'll love that steve i was like every time i start like, a new database i'm like i should probably text steve and he I probably just wants to have so something excited. set up just just from this is what steve time. does in his free time like, <laughs> it's literally like, oh. is as well yeah <laughs> i want to uh, get off excel i'll like, send it to you instead yeah i think it's i think it's important to say as well that the same, the same kind of goes for the dancers, right, as well. Like the athletes or dancers, whoever you're working with, I think answering their questions and, and using the data to say, to relate it to them, to relate it to them and their performance, you know, it's that, that's what they really want to do. You know, they're not, they're not especially, you know, within, with dancers, they're more, they're artistic. They're not science, they're not sad science people like us. So they just want to know how it's going to improve their performance. And if we can help them with that, and these numbers are going to help then they then they buy into it a lot, yeah. a lot i more. think people people just lose sight of the fact that whoever it is you're working with that they're not just performing seals that will do whatever you tell them to mindlessly and and that's acceptable do you know what i mean like these people if you're asking someone to do something well you better have a reason for asking them to yeah, do it and sure, you better sure. you know explain that reason and, and show them that it has value otherwise why are they going to do that? And especially if you're a new, a new part of the production team that's not necessarily been there in that way. Like a lot of these dancers will have grown up, and you're, I'm, you know, I'm assuming you're going to have an age range there as well, where you've got some dancers who, for them, this is going to be the norm because they've known no different. But you've also got some that have been around for a long time. And for them, it's going to be a big change. Like we've never had this kind of support before. So they're going to find it quite different. And you're, you know, anytime you're coming into an environment like that, and it's new, you're yeah. going to have to find that way to communicate, you know, to communicate with them. Have you I had think... any kind of pushback? Uh, yeah, there's been, obviously, there's been, uh, there's been bits and pieces, but I think that was one of the really important things to note as well. One of the big differences with ballet and sport is, you know, generally within sport, you'll have time in the gym that's blocked out and the whole team, if it's a team sport, the whole team have to go in there, you know, and do their, do their gym work. Whereas in ballet, like, like I mentioned before about the schedule that they have, and it's quite individual. There's no, there's no, you know, head coach or, you know, that's forcing them to go into the gym. There's no, it's, it has to be off their own back. It's their own decision. And obviously from my perspective or from our perspective as medical and sports science and strength and conditioning, we obviously believe in that and how it supports them. So we have to find ways to convince them and show them that, you know, what we're doing is helping them in the studio and helping them with their performances because they don't have to be there. They don't have to be in the gym. Um, 
we want we we want them to want to be in the gym because they want to work on their on what their perceived weaknesses is and work on things that are going to improve them. Um, and I think that was a massive thing for me going in was how can I get that across, you know, and how can I how can I convince people that have never used a gym and you know some have gone for quite a long part of their career without using the gym. Um, how can how can we get that message across that we it can help them? Um, and part of that is the, the testing data. Part of that is the rehabs and and you know hopefully having successful rehabs and that kind of thing. Like I said, it's the the, the dancers that have lifted previously and do find value in it. You know how can we speak to them and use them and they can then obviously go back and say you know these programs are good or whatever they you know take everybody's individual kind of thoughts into it. Um, and really, like I said, that's one of the reasons as well that I think the, the programs need to be really individualized with dancers because they all have different skills and different qualities um, and different different weaknesses. And it's really about the person that that, we're, that I'm working with and how can I improve them? Um, I think the other thing as well was just trying to make it kind of quite a fun environment in the gym. I think there was a, there was a, obviously within ballet, they're, they're kind of judged on a daily basis many for many hours a day and I kind of wanted to create this environment where it's somewhere where it was fun to be it was different to a studio it was a different atmosphere it was a different you know somewhere they could come and just almost relax a bit because that's what the gym's always been to me in a way is somewhere I can go and enjoy myself and relax and you know you work out at the same time and don't get me wrong it's you know it's still a professional environment and we're doing something for a reason we're doing programs for programs for a reason but having that little just place where they can maybe just switch off from dance for a second is, is was really important, I think. Um, so that was quite quite a big thing for me to try and create that. And I don't know, maybe I have, maybe I haven't. If I have to ask, ask them. <laughs> uh, it's, it's interesting you say that. I've, I'm sort of feeling so many parallels to my time, particularly when I first started with the figure skating team. Um, like in that, did you find that within that you've almost had to redefine your role and what you feel it means to be a, a strength and conditioning coach because I certainly felt with figure skating that um, you know we we know that with certain sports like if you can make someone in the gym a little bit more powerful that might translate to more speed and therefore they look they can knock you know a tenth of a second off their time or they can you know they can sprint faster on the field or something like that right there's you know sort of direct results of from what you're doing whereas when you get into an artistic event it's not like that at all and sort of for me I I kind of had this almost like epiphany moment where I was like look my role here is to help everyone complete all of the training they need to do on the ice the coach has a program they you know there are certain things that the you know the head coach wants to do wants to get out the athletes they have to be able to perform all those hours of choreography they need to be able to perform those technical movements over and over again until they're perfect my job is to help them be able to do that and a lot of that is dealing with their niggling issues finding that environment for them where it's actually they choose to come in when they you know building trust with the coach as well as the athletes so when they're having a bad morning like I'd get athletes in during the warm-up and I'm like okay I don't think x athletes should do any jumping today 
So they can go out on the ice and they'll do the first half an hour and they'll do parts of their routine. But I built the trust that actually they would then choose to come in the gym instead. And it was a, it was a very different kind of relationship and role to, like you said, the, the kind of typical, the team has been assigned this slot in the gym and everyone has to be there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, I think the thing said, well, obviously is it's so aesthetically pleasing if that's the, if I pronounce that correctly, but it's such a, you know, so these guys are under such pressure to look the right way. And, you know, they, if they don't look the right way, they they obviously get told it in quite straight terms. And, you know, and also from a personal perspective, obviously a lot of them, they go in, in certain roles, they might not be, you know, the guys might not have a shirt on or whatever, and they don't want to look, you know, they need to look the part as well as be able to perform, you know, to the, to such a high standard. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's that side of things as well, which is, which is probably different to, to most sports. Mentioning that aspect to it, um, you know, have you had any issues with, um like monitoring health and um you don't you know obviously you probably don't want to go into any specifics but uh you know eating disorders or you know health and um do you do anything to monitor that side of things yeah we're it's something we're obviously very aware of um and something which we're we're very keen to get right um obviously it's you know there are mental health, you know, there's mental health issues within all sport. I'd say it's, it's actually probably something looking back over my career personally is something that I haven't thought about that much, especially starting out and the mental health of all the athletes I've worked with, you know, was it, you know, was it right at the time? Did I ever miss anything that maybe I should have, I should have known about, but yeah, of course within ballet, there's, there's going to be mental health issues. There's, there's eating disorders. Um, there's that, that kind of thing. I think the well-being side is really is really important to us and at the moment we don't have strictly specific obviously there's, there's quite a delicate nature to it as well um so we don't have strictly specific um kind of protocols in place and that kind of thing but i think especially you know we haven't gone into it too much with i know jody are like i said that's lost issue she's looking a lot at our kind of female health um aspects we obviously we look a lot at reds and that kind of thing um, we've got a dietitian, Rini, who's very experienced in that area as well. And um, we're looking at kind of different mental health avenues that, that can support the dancers because um, it is a really, really big area. And it's it spoke about quite a lot now within sport. I think it's obviously becoming a little bit more of a hot topic, but it needs to be as well. Um, I think one of the, like I said, speaking about the aesthetic sort of side of it, there's also this uh, obviously a massive thing in ballet of, you know being perfect they almost need to be perfect all the time um there's this perfectionism element if i can say it um which obviously puts so much pressure on all of them not just you know on how they look but also are they performing you know it's the technical nature of it is so difficult and they want it to be perfect and it's almost you know impossible to be perfect um some of the things that they they have to do so i think that's a again comparing it to sport in a way is you know if you work if you play in, if you're playing in a team sport you can you know the the end goal is to win to win a match say and not every player has to be perfect within that match to win whereas you know these guys these dancers are going on stage every night and trying to be perfect and then there's also a pressure of them when they're rehearsing and when they're in 
class to to do that perfectly as well to really get that kind of those technical yeah. elements perfect all the time and it it puts so much pressure and stress on them it's so it's, it's so interesting quiet. because like you get this idea in sport of when you have won a game when you haven't played well and they're like they it was you know they won that ugly yeah. like it's almost celebrated yeah and yeah. and it's it's something again like it's interesting because in sport like you say people do get judged it was something that that was an eye opener to me when I went into like a truly elite level of, of sport where, you know, these guys, these athletes are stressed a lot of the time. They are under pressure a lot of the time, you know, they're playing for their contracts, but it, to a certain extent that, you know, what, what the, what product they put out there, whether it's on the field or on the ice or wherever, like, okay, that's what it is. They're going to be judged on that they don't necessarily have to worry about what they look like in, in really skimpy clothing as well as, as that added pressure on top of that. It's, it's fascinating. I think talking of like the wellness thing, it was something that somebody else spoke about it on a podcast once. And, and, and there's a lot of, you know, I think pros and cons for wellness questionnaires and things like that. And I've used them in the past and I've not used them in the past. And, um, and, and one thing I heard somebody talk about was this idea of if you've been with a team for a while, how like unpersonal is it texting them a, a five question wellness questionnaire in the morning when, you know, I, I've had athletes come into the gym to me and, and they walk in. And again, like in that going back to the idea of creating a safe space, like our gym in, in Shogun and Beijing that had the gym in it, it had the kitchen in it with the coffee machine and stuff and it had a little like couch area and tv and stuff so it was kind of i tried to create that like safe space and you'd have guys come in and, and before their workout maybe they'll just sit and have a cup of coffee with you for five minutes and i've got a guy telling me oh i you know i slept like shit like my kids like oh my kids awake i'm, I'm arguing with my missus like you get all of that which you miss it, yeah. it when you're when you're trying to track their their wellness you're almost missing tracking their wellness. It's fascinating, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so true. It's obviously, I think we all use, again, talk, kind of linking it back to that out of university and applying the theory. It's, it's that first thing you know about, right? You know about your wellness questionnaires and, oh, it's a one to five or it's a one to 10 scale. And obviously we use them a lot in football and it, it does become really impersonal, but it also, you question the accuracy of it because especially with it when I worked in football it was players would just come in they know they're going to get asked it and they just go yeah we're three 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 for everything I'm free whatever and it's not there's no real point in it and it's something we've discussed and kind of debated a little bit myself because you know like I said now I'm in now I'm working in an arts uh, industry it's you know these dancers aren't numbers people so shoving a, a, a scale in front of their face is, is not really going to do anything. They're not going to, they're not necessarily going to care. It's a, it's a, it needs to be a bit more personal. That It needs to be a bit more individual and, you know, how, how are you going to get honest answers as well? Because if you don't get honest answers in wellness questionnaires, then there's no point really doing them because you're potentially looking at using them to manipulate training you know, training and training loads 
that the wellness questionnaires they might not be reporting you know their soreness correctly so it's quite a yeah it's one we're discussing at the moment as well and it's we're not we're not we're not there yet on what the answer is but hopefully we'll find we'll work it out at some point yeah i i do um want to um ask one more thing about ballet before we go on to talk a little bit more about your experience in football and that is just that idea of um like what success means to these performers and we kind of steve mentioned it a minute ago like in a sporting context teams actually kind of really celebrate the idea of winning ugly because a, a successful team has often built the ability to win even when they haven't played well and that's you know one of those defining characteristics of really successful teams is that you end up winning no matter how you've played you always come out on top because you've built that um, sort of mental character and that belief system within that you can still win even if you haven't performed but in an artistic event you don't have that there isn't there isn't you're not doing it to win and lose for a start but you also don't get that because you're performing the same thing night after night or show after show what you know what do you take from that from your interactions with the performers and the artistic staff that like what is it that they're looking for what do they deem to be success yeah it's a, it's a really difficult question um to answer because obviously like we spoke about before they're, they're such perfectionists it's you know they're so self-critical what they do there's almost they almost i think some of them probably feel like they never perform that well or and that kind of thing so i guess and like I said, there's no, there's no real objective measure. You know, there's not a scoreboard where someone scores more than the other team. It's it's very much a subjective, subjective thing and a an, an intrinsic thing from the dancer of have they they done well themselves. Um, I think from my side, from a from a physical perspective, is you know, with some of the guys are starting to do like a lot more periodized type programming and trying to take that those performance schedules into, you know, into consideration, which. I don't think that maybe they didn't have that much before. Um, so really looking at, you know, loading them up and kind of tapering off towards the shows and and then speaking to them afterwards and saying, you know, did you feel good during the show? You know, did you feel like you could jump better? Did you feel like it helped? You know, because you felt like you could jump a bit higher, did it help your, your double tour, you know, um, and that kind of thing? Did it help you technically as well? And obviously if they're then feeding back, like, yes, I felt really good and, you know, I felt powerful, I felt fresh, then that, you know, that's from my side of things that's kind of successful and then there's always that kind of you know reflecting on what the program was and then how you can improve it as well um which is really important and, and kind of move it on so yeah i think that's that's probably how i'd look at it from the two sides but it's yeah it's a, it's a difficult it's difficult to define difficult thing to define success in i guess <laughs> yeah I mean, we we could I think just talk about this all night. I think it's fan, you know, fantastic and interesting. And and I had this, you know, the, these ideas of how do you drive, you know, competition or intent in a gym? Like it's so easy to do in a competitive team, but but you know that might not. You know, just if you've got a minute or two, just to talk about that. Like, how do you find? that kind of element of it in the gym when you said earlier like well they don't have to come in if they don't want to okay so what does that mean for their work ethic when they are in the gym yeah yeah i think that's that's the thing i think some of the guys there is that competitive nature between some of the guys obviously naturally i think 
and that again where something like the force platform data for example has really helped um because you know that if they're jumping against each other and they can see each other's scores then they then they'll, they'll push a bit harder um i think there's this one's as well like whether if they're not as competitive it's more they're all probably quite competitive or, or like i said self-critical themselves so if they you know if we feed back to them something that you know their jumps could be better or something like that then they'll always take it on themselves of like and it's kind of a it's then a discussion with the dancer as well of you know do you think and the roles that you the roles that you play and that kind of thing do you think is this something that would actually help you or not would this make you better and if the answer is yes then you obviously have that discussion to to get them and say okay well we can do these things we can try these things and hopefully help you in your help you improve this and hopefully therefore transfer and improve improve it in your performance and then if they say no then it's kind of it's you know obviously a different conversation and yeah i think it's it's one of those where you never like i said there's about 70 different dancers that's 70 different personalities and backgrounds and cultures uh, so you never we're never gonna i'm not i don't think we're ever gonna convince convince everyone to to come in the gym um but from when i've started to now i'd say there's a, definitely a lot more i mean i'm doing a lot more sessions i know that um, which is a good thing i don't want to sound like i'm complaining but it's i think that's kind of my very basic uh, look on it is that it is it is going up and like i said that it's it's kind of educating those younger dancers as well um because like i said the ones that are kind of in their 40s are come, maybe coming towards the end of their career they probably, I mean, do they need it? You know, do they need me coming in, throwing something new at them, which at the end of the day might just injure them because they're not used to it. It's, it's not new, it's new, it's new stuff for them. So it it might not actually help them. Whereas that younger group of dancers that are starting to come into the gym regularly and starting to understand what we're trying to do, you know, they're the ones that are going to then come through and hopefully into those kind of higher lead principal roles and and then kind of influence the dancers that are coming through under them. And it's kind of that long that long process of of getting you know real kind of snc and sports science into into the whole company i guess nice like you say i think we could chat about this uh for ages and it's really interesting like i see so many parallels with uh figure skating as the artistic kind of element to it as well like you said about the different personalities and helping you know different age groups of athletes as well and what they've um experienced we do want to make sure we don't just talk about ballet but we also wanted to ask you a little bit about your experience in in football um but i'm also i'm also interested in how your your other experiences have kind of helped shape um your sort of philosophies now so we know that you worked with you've worked in english football you worked with uh, watford on their journey up to the premiership and you've also worked with the uh, national teams in Taiwan as you mentioned so just wanted to have a little bit more of a chat about how you know how your work there has influenced what you're doing now but also looking back at like what what that's like what that environment was like for you to work in yeah I mean <laughs> obviously incredibly challenging and I think going back to my days at Watford I think I was quite lucky when I first started in terms of the team that was around me. Um, like I mentioned, obviously before, Matt and Rich, both really good and really professional at their jobs. Um, and coming straight out of university, it was a real eye-opener for me of 
you know what professionalism really is um especially at that elite environment and what it what it takes to really push you know push athletes and and work them to the you know to the right amount um and i think as well like the the, the coaches i the coaches i work with i work with malky mckay initially and then sean dyche after that and you know sean dyche is doing really well and there's no anyone who's worked with him or was with us at Watford is, is no surprise, you know, his, his man management skills and that kind of thing were, were really, really good. Um, and I think that was one of the biggest takes of like, all the things I learned, like I said, other than the theory side of that you get from university is that man, those man management and those soft skills of how you actually really get the best out of people. Um, because at the end of the day, we're, you know, obviously we're in a gym, we just, we tell people to do exercises essentially. It's not a, you know, we're not surgeons or anything like that. It's um, so how how can we you know convince people and really get people to work with us? Um, I think then obviously going over to kind of China and working with Taiwan and Taiwanese players, the I think the work ethic and drive of some of those athletes that you work with in Asia, are, I'm sure you guys have seen the same in in China. That they just don't stop. They just they're going all the time, all the time, all the time. And it's and they you know a lot of the Chinese athletes don't you know, in football in football they might they might complain a little bit some of the players and stuff but some of the Chinese the Taiwanese the Taiwanese players were not you know they 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 didn't complain about a thing that we made them do you know they they just kind of love to be there and that and that work ethic of of really you know almost loving the sport and loving what they do was was really it was really interesting to watch and see and I think. From the China, from the from the experience in China as well, I think one of the biggest things for me was not to get stuck in my ways. I guess um, you know, there's more than there's more than one way to kind of do things. There's more than one way to skin a cat, and it's really important because I think when you first kind of start working, obviously my, myself, I was very much like a you know, oh, we need to do squats, we need to do lunges, we need to do this amount of load, da, 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 da. and it's it's not the only way, you know, it's it's, you got to learn from all the people around you and look at different ideas, look at different philosophies and, and what can you take from them to improve your own, to improve yourself. Um, and I think what, like seeing a lot of different technical coaches as well and almost, you know, we're very easy. It's very, I always think it's the easy way out in sports science and strength and conditioning to, to blame the coach and say, oh, well, the coach, the coach won't let me do something. The coach won't let me do this. And again, that comes back to, to relationship building. You build a relationship with the coach, you know, fair enough you know some of them some of them won't listen to you and if they don't listen to you then fine fair enough we move on but if you build a right relationship with people they're not going to always agree with you they're not going to always um you know do every single drill that you want to do but if you can get enough of a relationship you'll be able to get enough work in that you'll be happy and and understand that you know don't get overstressed by it i guess you know if a coach says they don't want to do something relax it's fine you'll still be alive next day. that should be written uh on on like day one of every sport science and strength and conditioning degree <laughs> exactly. that's like number one lesson isn't it you, you how many young coaches have you seen just losing their minds because the technical coach doesn't want to do something and and you're just like fine don't don't worry yeah, about yeah. it it literally doesn't matter <laughs> it's absolutely yeah. fine um i think again you raise an interesting point about you especially if you move around and i know you're at watford for a long time but you know when you do start to move around and that 
well, you're not going to have the same setup everywhere. You're not going to have the same gym everywhere. You're not going to have the same coaches everywhere. So you can't just take that cookie cutter approach and, and drop it in somewhere else, can you? What was um, what were the kind of the main differences, I suppose, between between Watford and then working in, with the Taiwan team? Uh, language <laughs> you understand I'm just trying to understand I mean one thing I think if you can if you can communicate with your athletes without being able to speak a single word to each other then and get the right results and get them doing the right things then you do, you've done all right <laughs> um, have, I think you found, have you found that's helped your coaching afterwards though because I certainly felt like a come back from china and like actually i think i used to just talk too much and try (laughs) and and try and do too much or correct too much or give it ends up being like information overload once you've had that stripped away you're kind of like actually do you know what i can get a great result from you and i'm not going to confuse you have you found that helpful with you know you're now working with performers who are not you may not have had a background in this have you found that useful that lesson yeah, absolutely. I think it's, again, it's one of those, I think it's one of those things that maybe you get taught sometimes that as a coach, you have to constantly be correcting every little detail of someone on every single rep. And it's, again, it's not true. You know, I, I'm very much someone who I don't really, I'll watch them, you know, for the first set, say, and I'll see if there's something that's continuously happening then I'll say something and I'll cue something and maybe cue it differently. But at the same time, I believe that they almost need the self-awareness to be like, no, hang on, that's not right. And almost let, the, and let them work it out themselves, let the athlete work it out themselves. Because it might not be yeah. like such a, powerful, a wrong movement. Yeah, such a powerful um, kind of philosophy there, isn't it? And I'm yeah. the same as you, where unless I see something that like scares the life out of me, <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to like let a lot of stuff go. Uh, maybe I'll go over and, and have like, like one sentence of, Oh, Hey, think about this. But yeah. like you say, letting an athlete figure it out in terms of the proprioception and how that feels is so, so much more beneficial than you giving them a cue that they're going to forget 10 seconds later on. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I, I think there's um, you mentioned it there, Ben, like when we're, when we're all younger, we feel like we need to fill that space. I think there's a certain element of like trying to prove the value or the point of you being there. And when you're younger, you, you feel like that means you have to be so overly attentive and constantly doing things. Whereas as you, as we've progressed, we realize actually it's more important. Like the small things that I say are more important because I don't say a lot and the fact that you're learning to self-organize and self-correct is actually more important for the long term because I don't know if you've ever worked with anyone, but if you've had athletes that have been overcoached, they suddenly are completely lost when you're not there. Yeah. You know? um, I just think it's such a it's such an important lesson to learn. And unfortunately, I think it's something that you will only learn with time spent coaching. Yeah, exactly. Or go to somewhere where you can't speak to them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You're going to learn that straight away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one of the best bits of advice I could ever give any young coach ever anywhere is go and coach abroad for a bit. Yeah. You will learn so much about yourself and about your craft. It's And, and 
let's not beat around the bush, gents. You're probably going to earn a lot more money as well. So <laughs> go, go and coach abroad and then you can thank me afterwards. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, Ben, obviously you, you went through football a uh, long time in there, you know, worked your way up to the Premier League. No big deal, just in the Premier League, you know. Um, what my, I've never worked in football and my take on it from the limited sort of social media that I see, everyone seems to hate working in football. Like everybody wants to work in football and then they get there and they hate it and they say it's the worst thing ever. And it, it, it cannot be all bad surely you you were there for a long time what were some yeah. of the like i'm sure there are there are bad bits of it but what would you say are some of the good and maybe not so good bits of working in football <laughs> yeah i mean it's a real mixed bag it's like you said it's probably one of the most any football job is one of the most applied for roles that will probably be out there um i remember I, we advertised for a, for an internship that we were doing and i was getting i think i had, I had like two or three hundred applications for a for an internship and had people with PhDs just because they wanted to work in football, like applying for an internship. And I was like, you're probably overqualified for this, like, you know, so it's kind of, it, it's one of those industries. It is, it is good fun to work in. It's great to be in that kind of, I love being in that team environment. And I think having that kind of day to day, you know, joking around with people and, you know, there's that real professional element, but also that, kind of side to things of like you need to have fun you know you need to switch off especially around you know like I said the Premier there's so much pressure on Premier League matches it's you know you need to when you're at the training ground you need to have a bit of fun and, and switch off a little bit so that aspect of it is great and I mean in the Premier League obviously you kind of get your breakfast and your lunch kind of made for you as well which is which is brilliant I love that part of it um but it is, it is a very demanding the thing is it's a very demanding environment you know it's Again, these players are paid a lot, a lot of money. They're, they're, if you look at it from a business perspective, they are, as, they are massive assets. You know, you're talking, you're talking millions and millions of pounds for some of these players. So there's a massive pressure to do the right training with them. You know, not, you know, if you can, if, you know, if you can get, if you, if you're doing a rehab and you get someone back, you know, two weeks earlier than, than initially thought, and there of someone who's earning 150 grand a week, you know, the value of that to the business is, is pretty big. So. There is a massive pressure to get things right, um, and that that can be difficult. Um, but at the same time, it can be really rewarding as well because, you know, personally, I I like I liked that. You know, I liked having that pressure. You know, I wanted to, you know, push these push the guys who were worth this amount of money to to the limit and kind of get them back as soon as I could. So it, it, that that's kind of a, a positive and a negative, I guess. Um, but. Yeah, the hours you work and that kind of thing, it, it's it's not for the faint heart. And it's definitely, you can see why, you know, people leave football and say they don't want to work in it again or anything like that. But there's pros and cons to every job. Um, and for me, it's not just about the sport and stuff as well. For me, the people that, you know, the people that you're working with, the people you surround yourself with at your work, it's, you know, you create your own environment, right? You create an environment that you want to work in. Um and every individual has a role in that if you know everybody goes to work and is miserable then your work environment is going to be miserable no one's going to have fun so it's that that aspect of building that real team and that you know having really good personal relationships within that team is is quite an important part which I learned quite a lot in football and I think you know it's applicable kind of all all around any job um not just sport not just S&C just any 
any industry, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's so true. Like it's um, it's really difficult to sort of suggest there's a kind of one one size fits all or one scenario that covers every like every organization. Like you said, you build your own relationships. Um, yeah, how how much of the the kind of the the sort of learning and interpersonal skills do you think helped you with your um like your new sort of role with with ballet because obviously like with the with football you mentioned there some of the top players are worth millions and you kind of hear the you hear the stories of the prima donna footballer who doesn't really want to do what anyone says and and all the rest of it and i'm now thinking of like that being applied to ballet dancers i'm like actually i can see there's probably a fair parallel with you know some of the top dancers like have you have you taken any of that experience and felt that it was actually a valuable thing to have learned to prepare you for what you're doing now yeah definitely i think i don't (laughs) i think the biggest thing is learning if you can learn to deal with difficult people difficult people um and still like i said come out the other side smiling and and still almost getting or getting the difficult people to to do what you want if you can do that then that's really important i'm not saying that all ballet dancers are really difficult people um but i think those skills it make it makes it a lot easier you can you can basically deal with almost anybody you know if you those people that really push you and really challenge you and make things hard for you and argue with you you know you might not like them on a personal level but from a professional kind of point of view you can you can then take that and use that with people that you do like and you do get on better with and that kind of thing um so yeah i think it's something which is I mean, I definitely didn't learn it in university, uh, which obviously was a, a little bit of a while ago now, but it's something which I think is really missing probably within university, you know, courses and also probably, you know, there's all these accreditations and that kind of thing that we all have to go through and pay for and whether, you know, they're giving obviously giving practical skills and that kind of thing, but the interpersonal and the soft skills that you really need to work in these environments is probably something missing a little bit, you know, Personally, I've looked at more, you know, business or leadership style courses to to look at can I improve that or is the way is this, you know certain skills that I'm lacking that might help. Um, but I think that's something where you know it needs to be looked at of that integration of you know that business or leadership style and how can that be put into kind of sports science and SNC you know education. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, I, I love, that's I huge. Love that. Yeah, yeah, and I I also love the fact that like I think there's a a general kind of trend of a lot of practitioners, whether it's SNC, physio, whoever, of constantly trying to do more within their small little box of skills. I mean, like, oh, I need to learn more about this or I need to learn more about that. And actually what you need to learn is something way over here. Like you said, you know, some kind of business leaderships, you know, skills. Other, other areas where people are talking about communication styles, learning styles, how to influence people and build buy-in and that kind of stuff. That's actually coaching. That's yeah. you know, that's actually the most important part of coaching. I think um, I think there was a great quote that I read, and I forgive me, I can't remember who actually said it, but you know, the the least important things to an SNC coach are the exercises, sets, and reps. 
unfortunately it'll take you over yeah. 10 years to realize that right like and it really is just true once you've been coaching long enough you're like that is actually the least important part of my planning it's yeah. you know it's everything else that goes to making that small thing work is actually really important well, uh, I, I, I agree i'll oh, go on ben i was just thinking i think that's yeah it's so important because you know you can spend so much time on a program writing down all these sets and reps but at the end of the day if the person you've written that for doesn't turn up or tells you to go through <laughs> one you're not yeah. going to use them sets and reps anyway so. yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. Especially when, yeah especially when that person earns a hundred times more than you earn there's only one winner in that, in that <laughs> i was just going to say uh, the, um the the book that has taught me most uh, uh my most important lessons about being a strength coach is the culture book that uh you know, I, I shared that around when we were yeah. in China, The Culture Map by Erin Mayer. Just yeah. an unbelievably good book for making you question everything that you think you know to be correct. It, it, it Like you blow everything up and then put the pieces back together in a different way. And, and that has been hands down the most influential book in, in my coaching career. Yeah, I remember you recommending that. And I read that. It was really, I think it was really good. And I think it's something I still going into China. It really helped me a lot, um, and I think I st still helps me now. Like even within ballet, there's so many different nationalities that I'm working with, and understanding that you know the education systems in different countries is, is so different, and how you perceive things is so different, and that kind of thing. It, it really helps with you know building those relationships and almost you know getting getting you know someone from Asia in the gym and not caring almost not caring what the gym session is but actually learning about them as a person and learning about their culture um it's really i think it's really important and it's also very interesting as well <laughs> yeah so. absolutely yeah i think um I, honestly i think we could carry on chatting about this on a whole separate episode of the podcast about learning about culture and things um we're going to try and draw it to a close um so just want to say thank you very much for for joining us and actually ask if um you know where can people get hold of you what's your social media or do you have a blog or anything ben, yeah, has, ben has the best social media because every video he has his dog is in it like every training video i've seen ben do has his little dog in it it's the best social media that's ever that's what i was going for i was trying to get my usp i was like what's my usp my dog <laughs> i have no other no other real skills <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, I've got. I'm on LinkedIn, so LinkedIn is obviously one. Um, I'm on Twitter as well, which is at Ben underscore Dixon twenty three, uh, and then my Instagram is at Ben dot Dixon twenty three, um, which I don't know. Someone stole one on the other, and so I had to have different ones. But how dare they? Yeah, link, kind of LinkedIn. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm. I'm not overly active on on Twitter at the moment, and I haven't posted on Instagram for a while. But I. I I think I'm going to try and get back on some of the Instagram stuff. Get the dog videos back. I know. I'll start with one. I'll, you I'll you should get on. You should get on TikTok. You'll be like, <laughs> I'm telling you. I know. I might. I might be tempted. I could do some dance stuff on TikTok. I think people be, will like. Oh, mate. I mean, we we. Uh, I guess we've run out of time. But one thing we didn't talk about was: Have you done any dancing in front of the dancers? Of course. Of course. <laughs> and, I've told, and, I, and I've told them how good I am as well. <laughs> Listen, I've done, I've done ballet and shown the ballet. I said, "This is how you're supposed to do ballet." Exactly. 
so they enjoyed it. They great... took it the right way. So that's yeah, right. I'm that's glad. Yeah, <laughs> like Simon getting on the uh, getting on the yeah, ice. With, I tried that with figure skating. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's such a great well. conversation. This they're not shy. They're not shy and letting me know how bad I am. So that's fine. I, oh it goes, yeah, it goes both ways. <laughs> I'm happy with I, that. I'm saying, give me more. <laughs> yeah, I, like like Sai said, I can only echo that. I think we could just talk about this for ages. But so we'll have to get you on for part two at some point, I'm sure. But Ben, thank you very much for your for your time today. It's been such a good chat. Thank you guys. Yeah, really good. cheers, mate.